Let's go ahead and open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come before you and to look at your word and to, and to have what you would teach us. We ask that you lead and guide this study in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, Psalm 54. To the chief musician, Anna Naganoff, Miskil, a psalm of David, when Ziphlins came and said to Saul, Doth not David hide himself with us? Save me, O God, by thy name, and judge me by thy strength. Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen up against me, and oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them, Selah. Behold, God is my helper, and the Lord is with them that uphold my soul. He shall reward evil unto mine enemies, cut them off in, in, in your truth. I will freely sacrifice unto the Lord. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of the trouble, and my eyes have seen his desire upon my enemies. All right, so we're going to look at this, and first off, we want to look at the history of it. So we're because this one tells us when it was written. And this is when the Zephlins came and, and told Saul, David is hidden with us. So we want to look at 1 Samuel chapter 23. Just to get the context of what this is going to be covering. What, what chapter and verse? 1 Samuel 23. 1 Samuel 23, starting at verse 19. And then came the Ziplonites to Saul in Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself with us in the strongholds in the wood in the hill of Hakilah, which is on the south of Jesimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul, and come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed be you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me, Go, I pray you, prepare yet, and know and see his place where his haunt is, and who has seen him there, for it is told me that he deals very subtly. See, therefore, and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides himself, and come you again to me with certainty, and I will go with you, and it shall come to pass, if he be in the land, that I will search him out throughout all the thousands in Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph before Saul, but David and his men were in the wilderness of Mammon, in the plain in the south of Jezimon. So David had already left after these people had traded him in. And then if you look at 1 Samuel 26. Chapter or verse? <laughs> chapter. 1 Samuel 26, starting at verse 1. And the Ziphites came again unto Saul in Gibeah, and saying, Doth not David hide himself in the hills of Hikiah, which, which before Mishion? And Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul pitched in the hill of Hikiah, which is before Jezimon, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him in the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies, and understood that Saul had come in every deed. So, now, Zip, is that a name of person? Place. Oh, place. The, or people. The, Zip, the Ziphonites were the people. So this is, these are people that David is trying to hide, if you recall, in, the, in this period. David has been anointed king. Uh, the people were singing out, Saul has killed his thousands, and David is ten thousands. Uh, Saul's gotten very jealous of David. He knows that David's been anointed king, and he's chasing David all over Israel to kill him. And so David's hiding in, in, the, in the land where the Zithalites live, and, and they turn him in, and they basically turn him in. You know, hey Saul, he's living amongst us you know, in, our, in our territory, come and get him. Uh, which is, in one sense, they're being good citizens of Israel. They're going to the king and saying, hey king, your enemy is here, other, other than the fact that God had already anointed David to be the yeah, leader. Hishaleth. Hishaleth. At least that's how I see it being pronounced. So. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't know how you Yeah, well, you just follow the, the little marks and everything I, there. I skip over the words that I don't know. <laughs> so I didn't really. If I can't even pronounce it, I don't even know what it is. But okay, whatever. 
All right, so now we're going to go back to Psalm 54. Now that we've laid the, the foundation of what, where the psalm is, and this is one of those few that we actually know exactly what it was written, why it was written, and so we'll, we'll look at what David has to say here. And it's to be played on, played on a Nicanor, uh, neck enough. We don't really know what that uh, is, but they believe that it is a stringed instrument. And uh, so we want to go from there. Save me, O God, by your name and judge me by your strength. David is calling on God. God, defend me. And you can think about this. He's got his little band of people, a couple hundred strong. And if you recall, how many people did, were, were, did we say were, that Saul was bringing to fight with him? Three. Three thousand. So just a, small, just a small group is coming to find him. Okay, just a small group coming to find him and his couple hundred uh, in the rocky, hilly country that he's hiding in, in the strongholds. And it says, save me, God, deliver me, you know, give me, give me safety. Oh, God, by your name. And what have we said name means? I want to try to see if we can remember. What his name is when we talk about name? Important. Huh? Very important. Mm, not necessarily important. Reputation. Reputation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. By your name, your reputation. Remember when we 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 brought that out. When we pray in the name of Jesus, it isn't just tacking the name of Jesus on a prayer and saying I'm praying in His name. It's praying in His reputation, His desires, His will. Okay. That's what it means to pray in the name of Jesus, not just you know I want this million dollars, God, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> You know, that's not praying necessarily in his name unless you have a very strong reason that God says you need a million dollars to do his will. It most likely is not in his name. All right, so we want to keep that in mind. When we read about somebody asking about his name, they're talking about all of his reputation, all of who he is being represented. It is like going forward, the knight would ride forward in the name of the king to do battle and he represented the king when he went out uh, to do this battle. The king had given him the authority. The king had given him the right to go out and fight. Now, does that mean a lot of times when you do see name, that means by his name or would it just mean name? Depends on the context. Depends on the context. Like in this where it says, by your name, he's not saying by... God's name, he's by, he is literally saying, by your reputation, by your power, okay? It is like the ambassador of the United States when he goes to talk to somebody in another country, in the name of the United States, oh, yeah. I'm coming to you, okay? Not just, you know, he's taking the authority of the United States and saying, yeah. it is their authority that I'm here by. And this is what David is saying, by your name, save me by your reputation, by your promise to keep me. You know, and he's remind, basically reminding God, hey, your reputation's at stake here. And this is a good thing when we pray sometimes. If we're really going to pray in God's name, bringing in his word and his, and his promises can be a very good thing. But remind, remind God, you said this. You said this, God. You said you will keep us. You said that nothing can come come to me except which is common and and will you know that you will give me the strength to get through you've said that you will keep us you've said you know we can give god his, back his words and say god you your reputation's at stake and this is what david's saying save me by your name your reputation god you've promised and you think about this god had already said you're going to be king so david's saying hey god uh, remember <laughs> I'm the next king. I can't die. You know, there's 3,000 guys combing these, uh, combing these hills looking for our, us couple hundred people. Uh, help us get away from all this. So he's reminding God. He's, and he's saying, by your name, your, your authority, and judge me by your strength. Okay, your strength. Because David's saying he's not going to fight Saul. Why won't he fight Saul? Because Saul has been anointed king. And he knows that Saul is king until God takes him out. Could David have taken him out? David was a mighty warrior. He could have easily, and we read all through there. He had the one time that he was in the cave and Saul went to, to relieve himself and, and uh, there was nothing there and David could have killed him the time he was sleeping and he snuck in the camp and 
could have killed him, and he took his spear and you know part of his part of his uh, bottom of the yeah, hem of his garment, robe, yeah. and then taunted the king and and his general. <laughs> and took his wife. Yeah. So I mean, David had more opportunity to kill Saul, but he would not because God had put him in place. And until God took him out, he was not going to step up and say, I'm king. He wasn't going to cause a civil war. He wasn't going to cause a division. But was he taunting Saul, or was he telling Saul, I have no intentions of killing you? He was telling Saul, I have no intentions. He was taunting the general, uh, his general, because he said, you know, look how good you protected him. I could have, uh -huh. I could have taken his life. And then he goes, Saul, I, your life was in my hand, and I didn't take it. And each time he would do that, Saul would repent and, you know. But Saul had a problem. He did not believe that he was good enough to be king, and he was jealous, and, and he knew that his children weren't going to be king after him because of this anointing of David, mm -hmm. which angered him and, and bothered him, and he wasn't willing to fall under God, uh, God's direction. Jonathan would have been tickled to serve David. David, yeah. Because Jonathan loved David so much that he was willing to give up everything for him. Um, Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. And this is David on two, two sections. God, hear me. Hear my prayer. Hear the words of my mouth. Do we beg God to hear us at times yeah. when we're praying? Yeah. Hopefully we do. Hopefully we go, God, hear me, please. We're humble enough to know that God wants us to pray, but we're also humble enough to just know that he does not have any reason to listen to us other than he said he would. Right. You know, God has no reason to listen to us. We don't deserve it. We don't, we don't have any call on his name other than he said, I will do it. I just want to say one thing about a couple months ago, I've been praying and praying for the thing because I thought something happened that wasn't good. But today, God answered me. I prayed and it, and it didn't happen. It was good. Good. Today, it answered, and I thank you so much. And that's when you want to go before God and just thank Him for Amen. answers because answered prayers, we need I mean, to answer. We need to give God thanks. It's something that I was so worried about. And Put it if I heard it on the news and everything, today I got the answer. Mm -hmm. And this is why on the on the top of our prayer our prayer guide we have the, the acronym ACTS. Now has anybody read it? Do you remember we've talked about it? What does ACTS stand for? Adoration. Adoration. Confession. Confession. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And supplication. Supplication. Oh, yeah. Okay. I just read it before I came over. Very, very old, very old acronym. It's been around forever, ever. The first thing we're supposed to do when we pray, adoration. It's on the top of your prayer guides. All you can do is open, take your prayer guide out of the, out of the, out of the bulletin. Adoration, adore God, glorify Him, give Him praise. Confession, confess our, confess our, confess our sins. Give, I read this so well. Give thanksgiving. Give thanks to God, and then we give supplication, our our requests. Yes, got it from the church. Uh, I mean, it had to go to my head. <laughs> no, sometimes he needs to hammer and hit me in the head. Yeah. Well, that's why we we. Uh, that's why I go over things so that yeah. we try to remember them over and over again. Mm -hmm. Because this is the way we. And then yeah, I think that's the act. And so often we go straight to supplication. God, I want, give me, or give somebody else, but God, this is my list of requests, and we forget all the rest of it. We forget to adore him. We forget to confess our sins. We forget Thanksgiving. But then I just, sometimes it takes me a while to register. I don't realize it says ask. I just go this way. Yeah. And not thinking. I read it this way. So I that, okay, ask. Uh -huh. Yep. I mean, but it's just a way to think about how to pray. It's just a way to think about how to pray, what to pray for. Uh, and it's something when you sit down, you need to think about. Sometimes you might just want to do the adoration and confession and thanksgiving 
and not even worry about supplication. And what does supplication mean? That's giving your requests. Because too many times people go straight to supplication. God, I want, give me, give, give somebody else. And we forget to give the thanks to God. We forget to give the confession of our sins. We forget to adore God. And that's one of the most important steps is the adoration of God. Do we praise him? Do we come before him? And we see in the Psalms so often, David spends a good portion of a lot of the Psalms just saying, God, you're great. You, you, you've got this, you know, you're the, you're the God of the heavens. You're the, you know. Do we spend time just adoring God and for how special He is? So, and that might just mean singing some praise songs to Him, singing a hymn to Him, just really just taking time before God and adoring Him. I just pointed that out because I never pointed even fun. I mean, it's so simple. Now, did you read that somewhere else, or did? It? Oh, this has been around for forever. I don't even know who came up with it first, but it's been around for a long time. If you read any book on prayer, Acts will be in it. It probably technically should be cats, because you probably should start with confession and then go to adoration, but uh, Acts makes a better better acronym for it. I don't know how spelling it, but then you said written in here. I can't spell all the words. I know, I'm sitting here saying A-E-O-Y. So David is saying, hear my prayer. Give ear to my words, O Lord. And this word for hear there is to hear, hear, listen, and be ready to act. Okay, so he's really praying to say, God, I want you to act. And in this case, you can know exactly why he wants action. You know, he's looking down the hill, you know, look down the hill across the valley. He's got his spies out, and they're coming back and saying, uh, Saul's got a whole army here. Thousands. Now, he's got thousands combing these hills for us. What are we going to do? Uh, so David is here. He's going, I know I need God to help me on this. Could David's 300 men have probably beat Saul's 3,000 if it came down to a pitched battle? Probably, because you read about these mighty men, and many of them killed 10 people, 100, 1,000 people in battle. His mighty men, when you read about them in, you know, in uh, Chronicles, they're, they're strong guys. These aren't, the guys that are with them aren't, aren't wimps. <laughs> okay, but David is not wanting to go to battle with Saul because if he goes to battle with Saul and his men, Saul might be killed at his hand and he does not want that to be the case. So he's going to God, God, I need you to deliver me. If you want Saul dead, you can you know, kill him now, but I'm not, I'm not going to be the instrument of that death. Um, Verse 3, for strangers have risen up against me, and oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them, say law. Strangers, who are the strangers? Other people. The Ziphites. Yeah. The Ziphlins, the, the, the excuse me. The Ziphlins are the ones that are coming against him. What, do they people come from Ziphl? They live in the, well, yeah, probably. <laughs> probably, they're, they're one of the people in that land, and... I mean, they, but you've got to remember, they are being loyal citizens of Israel. They went to the king and said, hey, the guy you're after, yeah. he's right here. He's in our land. Come and get him. But David's saying, these are strangers. They, they don't know me. They don't know you, God, because they're not following. They haven't put you, God, before them. You've anointed me. They should be listening to you. And it says, oppressors, oppressors seek my soul. Somebody who's trying to, you know, in, inflict terror is trying to, they're seeking his soul, bringing Saul down upon him. This is, this is a prayer that he's going, God, you're, these people are not knowing you. They're not, they have not set God before them. How easy is it to not set God before our, before our face? It is so easy. We, we as a country have got many things coming down the pike. We've got things like the Supreme Court's decision on gay marriage coming in in the next month and a half. I can almost guarantee that I really believe that they're going to say that it is a right that they have and that all people have to honor it, which and, will cause problems. And I'm curious, will the new Bibles come out with that eliminated in it? Um, I don't know. If they do, I won't read that Bible. Nope, um, neither. So, but this is going to be a problem for churches, and we need to be prepared. 
they may decide that churches can't have tax-exempt status if they continue to hold a biblical point of view. And guess what? If that happens, this church will lose tax-exempt status because we're not going to leave the word of God. Because we're going to honor God. We will honor God. As long as I'm pastor, we're going to honor God. Because his word does not change just because man says something's changed. And this goes that back is, to... That is so scary how this world is getting. That is so scary how they are. It's even scarier if you stop and think how fast it can happen. Poland yeah. was Poland to one day in Czechoslovakia. And the next day they were communists. Yeah. They woke up to the things everywhere. And believe me, this is what's going to happen in this country. We're going to wake up one day, and this is not going to be the country we know, but we're going to have to follow God. We're, we're back to the days of the apostles, where the apostles were told, you can't go share the name of Jesus, you can't, you can't spread his name, and they're going, we have to follow God rather than man. We need, as Christians, to prepare for the day when it becomes illegal to talk about God, when it becomes illegal to stand up for what he says and be ready and prepared. Well, I'm sorry. I'm finally learning and I'm not going to stop. Amen. 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 That's the way it needs to I'm be. I'm sorry. I mean, it, it took me this long, but you think I'm going to think Do you know where the fish come from? The ocean. No way. Oh, I'm sorry. Very extreme. I'm so <laughs> this, uh, this side of the fish. Oh, the the Yeah. That how would you say? Ichthyus. 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 I never knew, but I was thinking. I either. That's, that's, that's the sign of Peter, and Peter meant the church. The no, 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 no. Get it right. Say it for Get it right. The okay. ichthyus is, a, a, is an acrostic. What's an acrostic? An acrostic is just like Acts, where you start with the letter and it oh, means something. Okay. And the ichthyus is Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. In Greek. I'll write that later when yeah. I have more. <laughs> so the ichthyus means fish. Ichthyus. I would have to look it up for oh, you. I think it's an Odakai Omnicom Signa, but I'll have to look it up. I have to look it up. Just know that it's, it's five letters. It's five letters. It's five letters, and it's, an, it's Greek for fish, and it means Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. Uh, Where did Peter's name get in the middle of that? It has nothing to do with it. Acrophia? An acrostic. Acrostic? Acrostic. A, po a form of poetry. A form of poetry. So each one of those letters, each one of those letters in Greek mean, means something. And just like we showed you in, on that one where it says acts, adoration, confession, yeah, thanksgiving, yeah, yeah. supplication, that's an acrostic. Okay, that's an English. That's an English acrostic, and the fish, the fish is ichthyus, and it comes in it, and it is a, and it is a Greek acrostic, and that way it was used. And and what they would do is in the early church, is one person would put one parent on the ground, and if it was a Christian, they'd put the parent that made the fish, and show that they were a Christian. It was a it was a secret. It was a sign of secret. What about the parent? I know. Two people were talking. One would one would, one would make a parin yeah. like this, and the other would make the parin like that. Yes, and that would okay. you call that a what? That's a parin. A single one part of a parenthesis is a parin. <laughs> okay, I thought you were saying parin. No, not parin. Parin. That's all right. I got atheist down here too. I C K H T H I S T. I definitely know that's not the way to spell it. I'll have to I look it up. So. I but at least somewhere. you know what, what you're saying. Uh huh. Uh, yeah, you choose right. It starts with an X. Or it actually starts with I, 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 X, I, I. Or I, X. So, so anyway, that, that helps you know what a what a what a ichthyus is. When you see those when you see those fish signs, they're ichthyus, and it is from the Greek, and it's an acrostic, giving the name of Jesus. So. If the other person did not know to respond, that's the rest of the story. And I think I'm right on this one. They shut up real fast. Yeah, because you, you, you were going to be arrested if you were a Christian. So, and well, I would just say it's a sign of, of Christ. It is. It, it is. It, it, it is. It is. That was what it was. But I always wonder, why did they do a pitch? 
But it's, that tells you why it had nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there have been people to say, well, because they were fishermen. No, because it was the acrostic. Oh, it was the direction. The direction. It was the acrostic. The, fish, the direction. Go that way. The way of the fish. But no, it, it came. It came because it's an acrostic, and it did fit into being a fisherman and all that other stuff. But it was a symbol based upon the acrostic of the name of Jesus in it. And not wanting to be fed to lions or used as a ladder for a night, if you didn't put the other half of it, I'm talking. So you're going to change something. So this month they're going to be voting on that stupid marriage thing. Say. No, the Supreme Court either either June or July. I don't remember which it is. They'll they'll give their their legal opinion and and I fully expect them to say that it's if they if they say anything other than it, it that it's a right and and the states are required to do it I will be surprised and then of course that gives us the whole issue of how the church how does the true church of God react uh, and there's going to be issues there's going to be issues and there's going to be pressure and uh, and there's going to be requests to be married, you know, for gays to be married in churches, and then sue the church because they, you know, when they say no, we, we won't do that, you know. So there's going to be there's going to be issues. There ain't nobody in my neighborhood that don't know how I feel because I put that sign up in my yard when, during the election. So I don't care. I'm not ashamed of the word of God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's just it. We need to know the word of God. We need to know what God says, and we need to stand for His word. And the world tells us, well, you're believing this book that's outdated, so quick, you know, grow up and come on, you know, get through the rest of us. And we need to say, nope, this is his word. And as I've said many, many times, if there's any part of God's word that's not true, we need to throw away the whole book. If we can't stand on the whole book, then there's nothing we can stand on because if we're going to start picking and choosing what we believe in the book, we don't have God's book. Right. I mean, and people are just mad because they cannot, to be honest, this book is so true. They want to make a default in it. They want to you know. make it so you have to change it. Well, the problem with this world is, is they've been taught that there's no absolute truth. So for us who stand on absolute truth, it bothers them. When you talk to somebody who really truly believe or say that they really truly believe that there is no absolute truth and they know they don't, they don't like it when you have absolute truth. Because we say that God's word is true. And it is true. Okay? And we totally stand on his word. And we have to believe the whole thing or none of it's of any value. And I say this over and over again. If there's any part of this that isn't true, the whole book is worthless. Because I cannot know what to stand on if it's not all true. God created the heavens and the earth in seven literal days. There's no evolution involved in that. Man has sin and, and evilness in him because of the sin of Adam and Eve. God created man and woman to be a family. He created government to punish evil and reward good. All these things, if it's not true, then the whole thing is just totally worthless to us. And if we can't believe it, we have nothing to stand on. And that's why it is critical. We believe the whole thing or we believe nothing. And all these denominations that are twisting and changing and going with the political climate, they're going to make life difficult for, for those who want to hold on to the word of God because people are going to go, well, what about all these churches over here that allow homosexual marriage and allow homosexuals to, Preach. to, to be preachers? Sorry, I don't care what they do. They're violating God's word. I don't care what they do. I don't care that the, the government says that I have to honor it. No, it's not going to happen, which will put us at odds with the government. And it's going to be tough. you got the SDAs in there, too, trying <laughs> to make Saturday SDA? Sabbath, Friday night, and Saturday Sabbath. Seven. This would be Sunday. Seventh-day Adventist. Seventh-day Adventist are trying to say Friday night is Sunday, yeah. Saturday Sabbath, and then Sunday we're in Monday Sabbath now. Well, or on Monday, you know, you got to be careful with that because it is true. Yep. The Sabbath starts on Friday night at sunset and ends it ends on Saturday night, uh, Friday night at sunset and and ends on Saturday night at sunset. Yeah. That is Sabbath. I'm not going to argue with them on Sabbath, but I'm not going to be bound up by the laws that say I have to worship on that day because I worship every day of the week. I don't worry about having yeah, to worship right. on the Sabbath. 
Show me one any religion. That's a great answer. Who has a child who fell on um, Saturday, Saturday morning, messing outside, doing what he shouldn't have been doing, fell out of the tree and broke its neck. You gonna tell me you gonna let that kid lay there till Monday before you seek medical? And that you're not gonna call the emergency people to come and get it so that you don't hurt it any worse than it already is? They don't make sense. Even in Christ's day, there were exceptions. Yeah, but you, you've got to understand also, the Bible tells us clearly that the Sabbath was a memorial between the Jews and God. Okay, it was a memorial between them. Very clearly it says that. Not between Gentiles and God, between the Jews and God. Now God did say that the seventh day was to be set aside. It was to be a day of rest. And we need a day of rest. Mm -hmm. and, and it doesn't have to be Saturday. It could be Sunday. It could be any day. Most people really? don't. Most people don't rest. Most people don't rest. And in America, we, we still well, most people rest on Saturday anyway well, in this country. Just like those doctors on Sunday, so they can rest on Tuesday because they have yeah. to. Yeah. And for me, Sunday is a very busy day for me. Sunday is not a day of rest okay. for me. I think you know, like you just make any, to be any day of the week, well, one day rest. You want to be careful with that because the Bible does say that the seventh day yeah. is, is yeah. a day of rest. So we don't want to get too far from that. But we're also not going to be legalistic and say this is what it has to happen. Yeah. Right. Because Jesus fulfilled all of the law. He completed all of the law. He said not one jot or one tittle will, will pass away until... The law is fulfilled. He fulfilled the law. It doesn't mean the law is wasted and gone, but he fulfilled the law. The law is complete. We now live under the grace of God for our power. He completed it. The episode with the corn on Sunday, uh, not Sunday, on Sabbath, didn't he say right there, the Sabbath was not created for man. No, man was not created for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was created for man. It was created for you to have a day of rest. It was a day to just stop and pay attention to God. Mm -hmm. Because if you're doing what, you, what God has given you to do, you're going to enjoy it so much. And I love it. This came from the Truth Project. And he changed the way of looking at the Sabbath. He goes, instead of looking at it as a prohibition, it's a day that you are just to stop doing what you enjoy and look at God because he goes we were created to create change God's creation into something else and if you really have fun at doing something you really want to do it all the time and God says you need a day to just relax mm -hmm. and those who have been workaholics and tried to work seven days a week you know, long days you get burnt out after a period of time some people can do it for you know, just a short period. Others can do it for years, but eventually, no matter who you are, if you do not rest, you will burn your body out. I got pneumonia. You will end up getting sick. You'll sick. end up. Yeah. You'll end up losing everything that you have because you're so busy doing whatever it is, and we have. That's why we have to have rest. The, the psychological term for it is, and the sociological term is, you need margin. You need time just to relax. It has room to just do nothing. And some people have a hard time doing nothing. And that is what the Sabbath is really all about. It's a day where you just step back and don't work. Mm -hmm. and but you can do fun stuff. You can do fun stuff. Yeah. You know, as long as it's not work. <laughs> you know, something that makes you relax. Some people say they love to work in the garden, which tends to be close to work. <laughs> Uh, you know, or just do something different than what they've done. Um, and so it's important. It's not that we're saying the Sabbath is not important. I mean, I, I, I kind of believe that we probably should worship on the Sabbath. The only problem with it is every place I've ever seen this goes to Saturday, worship starts getting legalistic about everything else out there and saying, if you've got to do this, you've got to do this, then you've got to do all these other things. And Paul has told us, you know, we live by grace, not by works. You know, doesn't it's not to get involved in all these rules that, that people get involved with. 
You know, and the minute I start saying you've got to worship on Saturday, then comes in all these other things. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. You've got to you've got to follow this feast. You've got to do this. You've got to follow all of the shadows first of the thing, Old Testament. And you can't cut your hair. That'd be the first thing, and then you can't wear dresses. I mean pants. You got to wear dresses. You can't have jewelry. You can't wear well. And no, so, but you get it. No. Well, we yeah. talked about that. Three forty-nine A.D. was when they, they changed the Roman. The Romans made it a law to worship the sun. Yeah, that's the Son of God day. Yeah, it was just more more anti-Semitic. All right. So these are these are the things that are before us. Jesus fulfilled the law, and we want to remember, Jesus fulfilled all the law. So the law has been complete. We now follow him as his sons and daughters of God. Not from the laws that will not get us to God, but by his grace, by his mercy, it's all been fulfilled. And as I've said many, many times, the closer we get to God, the more he's in us, the more we're going to follow his laws. Because he works out of us who he is, and he is the law. All the laws came from who he is. They're his character. So the more we have God in us, changing us to be like him, the more we're going to obey the law anyway. Even though we're not browned by it and, 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 and fettered to the law, we will obey the law and do the laws because they are who he is and a representation of his character. Then the example is when we talk about the Ten Commandments. God said, you will not bear false witness. Why did he say you will not bear false witness? You know, did he just randomly decide lying is good or lying is bad? No. He is truth. He can only tell truth. So therefore the law is you tell the truth. Okay? You shall not covet. You not, shall not desire something that belongs to somebody else because God does not covet. Okay? Every one of the laws is based in who he is and therefore the more we become like him <laughs> the more we will be obedient to the laws. Not because I'm striving to, not because I'm bound up and saying, I've got to keep this law, but because God will come out of me. I will tell the truth because there's so much of God in me that I will become truthful. And I will not covet after people because I am so much filled with God and knowing that he's going to meet all my needs that I don't covet because he's there. And what I go by, too, I want more marks in the book when I go up and meet him like <laughs> yeah, but, but, but you understand it's not because I'm desiring good and bad marks, yeah. it's because he is working out of me. And therefore, I am being more and more like him, not because I'm trying to make these marks, all these good marks, well, but... Well, I don't mean that, it's just that, that makes you more trying to be good. I yeah. want to be good. I don't want to be good. He has come in, he's crucified my flesh, and he pours out of me. Because he is crucifying who I want to be, and then he comes out. And then that leads to one of my favorite sayings, I love God's plan. He does all the good things, and I get the rewards. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, have you ever thought about that? He does all the good works. He's the one that does the right things. He's the one that talks through me, and then he turns around and gives me the reward for letting him do the work. That's a great plan. <laughs> Because if I do the work, it's in my flesh. No flesh can stand before God, and it's worthless, even if it's a good work. If it's a good work that I did, it's, it's in my flesh, and it's still worthless in front of God's sight. What's helping me out a lot just coming to do Bible study is when I'm doing things and something's not working right or something like that. Satan, leave me alone. This is not how I'm going to do it. Yeah. No, and I would never think that way before with something. No, they, I'm not doing it that way. I'm sorry. Just get out of here. Yep. But I think that's so cool because I know who he is, but now I really recognize it when I'm thinking something. Nope, it's not me. It's Satan trying to get me to do something that I don't need to do. Yeah. And, it, and it, not just Satan, but no, your whole flesh, your whole sinful nature, your whole your, 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 your flesh. I'm, but I'm realizing things before I always thought of something else. No, because like you say, Yep. All right. Verse 4. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. So he's saying God is his helper. God is our helper. 
He has a personal plan for each one of us. The God of the universe takes notice of each and every one of us, and he is our helper through everything that goes on in our life. He's right there, ready to be our deliverer, ready to guide us, ready to walk us in the plan that he has for us. And that's an amazing thought. God in charge of everybody in this whole world and all that's going on in the world, all of the angelic realm, all the other universes that might be out there, has a plan for us as an individual. He pays attention to each one of us. That is something that is an amazing thought. Have you ever thought about that? God hears every word you say. He watches everything you do. He is with you always, and he's ready to help. Everybody else, too. Everybody. When he's paying attention to me, it doesn't doesn't stop him from equally attention to everybody else. And he's right there to be our helper. Our helper. He wants to get us out of whatever we're going into. He wants to give us direction. He wants to give us guidance. Each and every one of us at each and every second of our day, each and every nanosecond of our day, he's right there wanting to be our helper, be our guide. If we'll just turn to him. He's our helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. So David's even saying, those that are helping me, God is with them. We can say he's with everybody, and he is. But those those that are helping are, are covered. He shall reward evil unto my enemies. Cut them off in your truth. When somebody comes against us, God will give them the reward they deserve, which is justice or or bad things. And And I've shared with you all, I've seen this happen more than once. I've seen people go against a pastor and be, be really struck down in their life. I, and I told you about a, a man that I knew in Sacramento that he spoke out against the pastor all the time in the church. I told him he shouldn't do it. The head deacon told him he shouldn't. We both went together to him and told him he shouldn't. And he wouldn't shut his mouth. He lost his health. He lost his marriage. He lost his job. He lost his family. Why? Most people say, well, it was a consequence. I believe completely that it was because he went against this pastor. You know, because the pastor is somebody that you're not supposed to come against. And he did. He spoke all the time against this man. And God took away everything. The Bible very plainly says, do not speak against God's anointing. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and it goes on to explain why, and it ain't nice. God handled his anointing himself. Yeah. Yeah, if you read Jeremiah, if you read Jeremiah, you see it all over the place that God will take care of the false pastors, and it says that in three places. You know, God will take care of false pastors. You know, if, you're, if a pastor's not leading a church wisely and he's leading them wrong, God will take care of them. And I've had people go, well, what do you do? You know, well, number one, you could talk to the pastor individual, you and, you and them. I've talked to many pastors to one-on-one. And if it's something you can't support, then you go find a different church that God leads you to that you can support. And people go, well, what happens to all the other people? Well, the spiritual people will know that the God's leading them out. They'll take them out, and there'll be a whole bunch of goats in that church with a false pastor. The sheep will leave, and the goats will stay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty simple. Uh, and I've seen it. I've seen it happen. You know, where a false pastor just gets left along with all these people who just want to hear what their itching ears want them to hear. And we see it on a lot of the televangelists who, who preach itching ears, and sometimes they have very large churches but they're not teaching the gospel. They don't teach the gospel. And they may have large churches, but they're full of goats. They have large churches, and I don't like it when, you, when they do it. They, they never hold the Bible. Yeah. And they're full of, they're full of goats. They're not yeah. full of sheep. And that's why we, you know, as much as I encourage people, listen to other speakers, be careful who you listen to, right. and make sure they're biblical. Check them out. If they're not biblical and they're on a radio station that you live, turn it off during that half hour and don't listen to them. Don't watch them on TV. You know, uh, and it is hard because there are more bad televangelists than there are radio evangelists. And I don't know why that is. The medium medium works out. That name doesn't ring a bell. And I'm not going to condemn any of these. I mean, there are good televangelists. There are good 
and there are bad radio evangelists. You know, it's, but you just want to be sure that they're teaching the Bible. And not, not that they make one mistake. I mean, anybody can make a mistake, and I'm sure I preach things that aren't necessarily true, not on purpose, just, you know, but you go to the Bible. You be a Berean. Paul praised the Bereans and said, you go to the scriptures to search out the truth of what I'm speaking. And it's very important that we be good students of the Bible. When we listen to somebody, it's like, okay, does this match up with the Word of God? And I can tell you, if you learn to listen to the Holy Spirit and the discernment of the Holy Spirit, you will hear when they say something that's wrong. Okay? I've done it many times. Even with, music, even with a teacher in the background, I'll go, what did he just say? That didn't sound right. When I was growing up, there were many times that a pastor would teach something. I'm going, God, I'm confused. This just doesn't sound right. Will you show me what the truth is? And God has always shown me the truth. I, I called my brother-in-law. He was a Southern Baptist minister. And I said, i got to ask you a couple of Bible questions. He said, okay. I said, number one, what? I never heard of the word charismatic until just a couple of years ago. What, what's it about? He said charismatic means something or a person that draws people to them in masses. And he said, you're talking about this movement with the Holy Spirit. And I said, yes. And I said, whatsoever you ask in the name of the Lord believing, it shall be given unto you. He said, that's true. That's exactly what it says. Now read the verses above it and below it. Because when you take verses out of context, you can make them say things they don't say. Mm -hmm. And that is not what that's saying. But you, but you, can even, you don't even have to go out of context on that one because you just have to define in his name correctly. Uh-huh. Okay. If and, you, and if you have not, it's because you asked miss. And he said, now, do you know what that means? And I said, well, I know what the word miss means. He said, it means you either ask for the wrong reasons, you asked out of line, the answer was no. Yeah. And you weren't asking in, in, in the name of Jesus. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, it is important. And this is why it's important. Context is very important on a verse. If, if you have a pastor teaching something and all they ever do is one verse out of it, you need to start looking and saying, what you know, what, what is around it? There's one of the pastors on the radio. He says, read the 20 verses ahead, ahead and behind. That may be a little more than you need to read, but it's not a bad, bad advice. To sometimes read, read it in context. Sometimes it's not <laughs> enough. But it is important. Context is important. Because you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say by taking verses out of context. And one of the speakers I, I was listening to this week, he goes, hey, he goes, yeah, you can have, to, you can have a church teaching the doctrine of hanging just by going to the, the verses about, about Haman and, and, uh, and um, yeah. Ask for example. No, the, the disciple who hung himself. Huh? Judas. Judas. Oh, Judas. <laughs> you know, you take those two verses and talk about people being hung and say, you could have a doctrine on hanging. And you could because it says, go hang yourself. You know, it's, oh. you know. Uh, so you have to be careful and, and know what it is you're looking in the Bible. And there's, a, there's another old joke about somebody opening in his Bible and said, Judas sold Jesus and, you know. And it goes, oh, and, and ran off. And then it goes, Judas went and hung himself. And then the next time you read a pulpit Bible, it says, go and do likewise. You know, all three verses <laughs> in the Bible, you know, but if you're not careful, you can make the Bible say anything, anything you want it to say by lifting things out of context. And if you're going to play foolish games with God's word, Satan's going to see to it you fall in his heart. Yep. So it's important to stay in his word and stay in context and good, listen to good speakers. Three things I remembered was verse, context, and the word of God used before in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Verse, context, and used before. That's part of homiletics. You look for things that are being quoted in, in, in before and being mentioned more to than make once. Make sure that it's all oh, in context right. of what you're studying. Yeah. It's been used before in, in the verse that you're reading. So it, it is. Two, one more. If it sounds too good to be true and it's about God, <laughs> you may not know what it, it, it may not be saying what you Would thought you it Hermeneutics? Hermeneutics. Art and science of interpreting the scripture. Well, art and science of interpreting any document, but we use it for scripture. Isn't that what we're studying now? Huh? Hermeneutics? 
Uh, well, we're not studying hermeneutics. No, it, it was earlier that you talked about it. That is the banner right there, how to study the Bible was on hermeneutics. Okay. That's one way of studying the Bible. Uh, and eventually I probably will do the series that I do on studying the Bible where I'll introduce eight or nine ways to study the Bible because there's lots of ways to study the Bible. And they all have good points and bad points. Uh, and so we will probably do one of those courses here sometime in the near future and, and teach people how to study. Do you send these Adults over there. 10 o'clock in the morning. All right. Verse 6. I will freely sacrifice unto you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. I will freely sacrifice. And this goes back to what we've been studying in the Leviticus. That would be the burnt offering, the meal offering. Those were the free will offerings. They were able to be done voluntar voluntarily. Um, so we want to look at this. David saying, hey, God, I'm, I'm going to sacrifice to you. I will do it freely. And the sacrifice is something that's so important. We don't really think of sacrifice as far as animals, but what do we sacrifice for God? I sacrifice myself, hopefully, because we're told in, in Romans that we are a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. All right? God says we are a sacrifice. We are to put ourselves completely at his control voluntarily a burnt offering saying God I am totally consumed by you I will do what you want me to do now sometimes that may mean we're going to do some really strange things uh, because God says I want you to do such and such and you never know what God's going to do God, God does some really weird things for people sometimes uh, my dad gave a testimony one time about bringing this guy to the church he goes you never know what you're going to see at this church he goes and the guy goes, I bet you won't see any line dancing at church. <laughs> and my dad laughed. He goes, probably not. <laughs> so that night, the group that was singing were doing a country song, and they broke out in a line dance. <laughs> you know, never been done in that church before, never been seen before. But this person was making a joke, saying, you know, hey, I bet this will never happen in a church. And God provided something <laughs> that would just make them see that God will do whatever. Now, do I say everybody should do this? No, not necessarily, but you never know what God will do to well, reach somebody. God works in mysterious ways. Yeah. Which isn't in the Bible, but the, the, yeah, the, yeah. the, the thought is. The thought is in the Bible, not, not those not, words. Those words are. No, the, the teaching, the principle is, but not those words. Say it again. <laughs> God works in mysterious ways. His wonders to behold. It's just a proverb. It's a true proverb. I mean, it is, it is what the Bible's well, principle is. Yeah. But it's just like many of the other principles that are out there. You know, cleanliness is next to godliness. That's not in the Bible. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, God helps those who help themselves. As a matter of fact, that's exactly opposite of what the Bible tells you. you know, God doesn't help okay those who help themselves. That's a principle that is out there. I mean, it, it is what God does. I mean, it's a valid... Yeah. That one's an about is a valid principle, but you know those other two that we give you, they're, they're not even in the Bible. They're you know, and especially the one that bothers me: God helps those who help themselves. That is totally opposite of what God does. God says, "Surrender yourself to me, and I will work through you. Mm -hmm. I will provide for you. I will save you. I want you to run into run into me for safety." Don't He's not saying go out and do everything on you. Now, the flip side of that, he also doesn't want us to just be lazy and sit there waiting. Okay, God, I'm waiting for you to do something. You know, no, he doesn't want that either. He wants us listening and walking by faith. And that can be, can be tough to do. All right, verse 7. For he, uh, I will praise your name, O God, O Lord, for it is good. That's verse 6. Praise his name, for he is good. His name is good. For he has delivered me out of all trouble. And my, and my eye has seen his desire upon my enemy. God, David's saying, you've delivered me. You've delivered me out of all trouble. Hopefully, as we're walking God, with God, we're seeing that he delivers us from troubles. He delivers us. Sometimes it may not look like it. 
Sometimes we go through things and we go, God, I just don't understand this, but you've got a reason. David being chased all over Israel, being chased by Saul all over Israel, probably didn't make him exactly happy. You know, because he couldn't get caught, because if he got caught, Saul would have killed him. So he had to keep running or fight, and he wasn't going to fight. But God delivers out of trouble. In the long run, God always delivers out of trouble and gives us peace. And I love this. God will give us peace even in those times that seem like trouble to us, when he's in control, when our eyes are on him, we do not see the storm. Peter got out of the boat to walk on the water, and he walked on the water as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. But the moment he took his eyes off Jesus and looked at the storm around him, he started sinking. And it's true in our own lives. As long as our eyes are focused on Jesus, we'll walk through the storms of life and not even recognize that we're in the middle of a storm. The moment we take our eyes off of Jesus and look at the storm, we will be troubled. And I hope that you've been there. I hope you've had times in your life where you've walked through a storm and you kind of look back and say, boy, I really, it was kind of rough. Uh, you know, look at all that mess back there. What happened? You know, we walked through the storm with our eyes on Jesus. And he kept us focused on him. And when we're walking with God, we're walking with Jesus, nothing can harm us. Nothing will harm us unless he allows it. And then that harm is still for our good, for whatever reason he wants. The disciples were beat for giving the name of Jesus and preaching Jesus. And when we talk about beatings, it wasn't the beatings we see in this day and age. This was a scourging where their backs were, were stripped off raw with the, with the whips. And they were made so that they were being uncomfortable. And what was their reactions? They praised God. They praised God with raw backs, sides that were ripped out, beat. And they you said, know, thank you, God. I wonder, like, when that happened, if they really felt how they got beaten because maybe God was with them and they didn't really feel to me the power of God. Mm. Might have saved them a lot by not feeling the... Might have taken some of the pain away, yeah. but I guarantee they were sore. Oh, yeah, no, they were sore, but any other, like a non-believer, they would probably be so... But it is true, the more you focus on God, the more your focus is off, I mean, off the pain that's physical onto something else, you can get through a lot of physical pain as long as you're focused on something else. And that's just the way our body acts. If we're focused on God, the physical pain is still there, is still felt, but it may not be felt as bad. Because we can focus ourselves on something else. Now, doesn't mean that there wasn't pain, doesn't mean they weren't hurting. But they were focused on God and saying, but there's so much a thankfulness that they were given the honor of suffering like Jesus did because they were walking with God. They, they equated the suffering with an honor, not a punishment. When they were beat, they looked at it and said, Jesus took, this, took the same thing. We're, we're being blessed to be able to be like Jesus to be claimed worthy of being like him. This is important for us to understand because there's going to come a time when pain is going to be associated. Jesus said, they hated me, they will hate you. Now we've been spoiled in America. We have been spoiled in America where we started out as a country that honored God and God has been, you know, following God has been blessed and, and there's not been a persecution for following God. And I can guarantee you, I've heard it from people from behind the Iron Curtain, old Iron Curtain. How can Americans say they're following God when, they're, when the world doesn't, doesn't hate them? They don't understand. Because they look at God saying, Jesus said they're going to hate you. And I can tell you the same thing. If you have people that dislike you because of your Christianity, you're probably doing something wrong in your life before, before people. Because if you're going to put holiness in you're going to offend people. You will offend people by living a righteous, holy life and having God live through you and having standards. It will be offensive to people. And I guarantee it's offensive. I've been there. I've, been, I've had people be offended. 
I've had them come against me because I'm a Christian. I've had them criticize me. It's been interesting when I went to college the second time, how many people would really against me because I had the audacity to say that there were absolute standards. You know, and then I would teach them that they had absolute standards, even though they said they didn't. When you get thirsty, you don't drink. Yeah. That's an absolute. Oh, it was, it was even nicer than that. I would grab their keys and walk away. And they go, what are you doing? I'm going, well, i got to go sell this new house and new car I got. That's mine. I go, it's mine now. I've got the keys. You can't do that. That's wrong. I go, who says? You just told me there's no absolutes. I have no problem with it. It's not hard to show somebody that there's absolutes. Because they very quickly go to absolutes when you want something that belongs to them. So David is saying, you've delivered me from all my troubles. My eyes have seen what you've done to my enemies what you've done to the enemies. And if you go long enough with God, you're going to see the enemies punished. Maybe not in this life in the long run, you know, but eventually they will be punished. They will suffer what they, for what they've done to God's people. All right. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity. We've had to look at your word and to see what you would have us to learn. We ask that you be with us and go with us this week. Give us opportunities to share you with others. Give us opportunities to really get to know you in a very mighty way. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.